This is Canada HR News on December 5th, 2022. I'm Elena Bobereva. In today's episode, we talk about current labor market trends, new work permit rules for low-wage workers, inadequate personal protective equipment for women, inclusion issues in the tech sector, and other topics. Stay with us to get the latest HR updates. Indeed reports that in November, employment and hours worked were fairly flat. Full-time jobs saw a decent rise and layoff rates remained low. Unemployment rate is at 5.1%, near its multi-decade low. The labor market's strength is showing up in wage growth rather than job growth. Average hourly earnings were up 5.6% year-over-year for a second straight month. Pay gains have been broad-based, growth clocking in at above 6% across accommodation and food service, professional service, construction, and manufacturing sectors. Job postings on Indeed have held strong through November, suggesting labor market and wage gains could maintain a solid pace. The federal government is expanding the temporary foreign worker permit extension rule to lower wage earners. On a temporary basis, Spouses and working-age children accompanying those applying to the low-wage stream of the program will be allowed to work in the country. Previously, spouses were only eligible for a work permit if the principal applicant was working in a high-skill occupation. The new program will be implemented in a phased approach. Phase 1 will enable family members of workers coming to Canada through the high-wage stream of the Temporary Foreign Worker Program or the International Mobility Program, to apply for an open work permit. Phase 2 aims to gain the measure to the family members of workers from the low-wage stream following consultations. And Phase 3 will include consultation with agricultural partners and stakeholders to assess operational feasibility for expanding the measure to family members of agricultural workers. The policy will be in effect for two years, starting January 2023. The new rule is meant to help employers find the workers they need to fill their labor gaps. Alberta's government is funding additional micro-credential programs to help Albertans develop the skills they need to build new careers and secure the province's future. Micro-credentials are short-term, documented learning experiences that recognize specific skills and competencies and create new opportunities for unemployed and underemployed Albertans to quickly reskill or upskill to meet industry needs. Earlier this fall, Alberta's government invested $8 million over two years to create 69 micro-credential programs through the Alberta at Work initiative. Additional funding of more than $270,000 will help create five new programs that support key sectors, including energy, technology, software development, and finance. Employees in federally regulated private sector workplaces are now eligible for 10 days of paid sick leave. The sector includes about 945,000 employees, or about 6% of all Canadian employees, working for 19,000 employers in industries such as banking, telecommunications, broadcasting, and transportation. As of December 31st, workers who have been continuously employed for at least 30 days will have access to three paid sick days. 
Workers will then get a fourth sick day as of February 1st and will accumulate one additional day at the start of every month up to a maximum of 10 days per year. Employers who do not comply with the new provisions are subject to a number of compliance and enforcement measures, including administrative monetary penalties. According to LifeWorks' latest mental health index, 77% of Canadian employees face a moderate to high mental health risk. When choosing an employer, Canadian workers consider pay, benefits, flexibility, type of work, and positive workplace culture as the most important factors. The survey has also revealed that mental health, productivity, and performance of Canadian employees are linked to the support, consideration, and compassion observed in their manager. 41% of respondents say higher pay would most encourage them to put in more effort at work. But about 24% of respondents said nothing would encourage them to put in more effort at work. And this notion is in line with the current quiet quitting issues in the workplace. Physical differences are not always taken into account in the development of personal protective equipment for men and women, according to the Canadian Standards Association. Research shows that anthropometric differences exist between the sexes, and women are not merely scaled-down versions of men. This is why protective clothing and other PPE that are designed based on men's proportions cannot be simply scaled down to fit women. The three most common problems the Canadian women surveyed have with their PPE are that it doesn't fit properly, it is uncomfortable to wear, and the selection of women-specific PPE is inadequate. To try and address these issues, women are paying out of pocket to source PPE with a better fit or that is specifically designed for women, and modifying their PPE for safety, comfort, and improved fit. Workarounds include using rubber bands, safety pins, duct tape to shorten full arrest gear, secure work gloves, shorten sleeves, and prevent their pant legs from tripping them. Nearly 40% reported experiencing an injury or incident that they perceived to be related to their PPE. PPEs are simple and inexpensive way to control exposure or to provide supplementary protection when other controls are not adequately protective. For these reasons, it is paramount that the PPE fits each worker properly and that it provides maximum and effective protection and that the workers can trust it to prevent injury. SNAP is the latest technology company requiring employees to return to the office. According to the report by Bloomberg, their chief executive officer expects employees to be working on-site four days a week starting February. The policy will also count some tasks, such as client meetings, as time spent in the office. Last month, Twitter CEO Elon Musk banned remote work unless he personally approved it, while informing employees they're expected to work in-office a minimum of 40 hours per week. In October, Uber asked its employees to work from office twice a week. Meanwhile, companies such as Amazon, Lyft, Meta, and Yelp have delayed or cancelled office expansions to better suit hybrid work. As of Thursday, December 1st, more employees at BC's agencies, boards, commissions, and a number of crown corporations 
will be protected by the Public Interest Disclosure Act. The Act allows current and former employees to confidentially share information about the serious wrongdoing that affects the public interest with designated officers within their organizations or the office of the ombudsperson. The Act fosters transparency by requiring ministries and the ombudsperson to report each year the number of disclosures they receive and the results of any investigations they undertake. It also provides employees who participate in investigations under the Act with protection from reprisals such as demotion, termination, or other measures that adversely affect the employee's work conditions. It ensures that employees under investigation are treated fairly. Canada's technology workforce is plagued by gaps in both pay and participation rates for women, people of color, and immigrants, according to the new research from Toronto Metropolitan University. The report was published by the university's Brookfield Institute for Innovation and Entrepreneurship. The research revealed that in some cases, the gaps in inclusion are getting worse, not better. For example, women had 4.91% chance of being a tech worker in 2016, down from 6.29% in 2001. For men, it was 20% unchanged for both timeframes. And men make on average $3.49 more per hour than women. The effects of intersectionality are just as significant. An indigenous woman without a bachelor's degree, for example, has only 1% chance of entering the tech workforce. An immigrant woman with a visible minority identity engaging in tech work without a university degree in Canada on average is expected to make $8.94 per hour less than a white, non-immigrant man without a university degree. In 2001, there was no observable pay gap between immigrant and non-immigrant tech workers. But from 2001 to 2016, a pay gap emerged to an average of more than $5.70 per hour. When the researchers controlled for factors such as experience, education, and sex, it was revealed that the immigrant pay penalty in tech is in fact larger than the gender pay gap. And this was Canada HR News on December 5th, 2022. Please leave us a rating and a comment in Apple Podcast. You can also find us in Google Podcasts, Spotify, and other platforms. For more information on the topics discussed today, see the episode description and connect with us on Twitter at CADHRNews or LinkedIn at Canada HR News Podcast. 